Table fam, how are we feeling tonight? Hey, so in your chair, we are starting a brand new series called Green Flag. So there in your chair, this is your gift from us to you is a green flag. So anytime you hear something in this message that you like, green flag it. Anytime you hear something in this message that you don't like, you know what to do. Red flag it. Anytime you see somebody that you don't like, red flag them. Just kidding. Don't do that. Hey, if we have not had a chance to meet, my name is Isaac. I'm the college and young adult pastor here at First Orlando and part of our table leadership team. And man, I am so excited for the series. For the next five weeks, we're going to help navigate love and dating and romance and marriage and all of the above. But as we're prepping for this art, as we're prepping for the series, um, this, I, I came across this really interesting article. And here's what the article said. Two in five young adults think marriage is outdated. Do you agree with that stat? Two in five young adults? Okay, saying no. Okay, <laughs> see a red flag. Okay, okay. I like y'all participating. Yeah, okay. Got some green flags, got some red flags. It's, it continues. I'm going to read directly from the article. It said this. Are there wedding bells in your future? If you're young and in love, the answer is probably not. Right? So 85% of the people that they surveyed don't think they need to get married to have a fulfilling and committed relationship. Now, you may be thinking, oh, yeah, well, that's because whoever they surveyed, it's because the men, the men don't want to commit, right? <laughs> Actually, it was the opposite. See, because out of the people that they surveyed, 52% of women said that they had this view of marriage, right? And to 41% of men. And why? Why don't young adults that they surveyed want to get married? Here's why, right? The cost of getting married, y'all know how expensive it is? Have y'all researched this? Okay, do you have thousands of dollars in your bank account? Or do you want to go deeply into debt to have a wedding? Most people don't want to. Okay. Or it's just very expensive. Just being married is very expensive, right? For whatever reason, just like being married, just the costs, costs go up. And straight up, just one in six, we're just like, not interested. I'm just, just not interested, right? And now, as these young adults are answering these questions, here's what they also said. They also said um, they feel, even though they feel this way about marriage, they feel incredibly judged by their parents, specifically their moms, right? Around not the pressure to have kids. Um, 69% of women say that they feel judged for not being married to 27% of young men. And here's really the biggest reason why young adults that they surveyed did not want to get married. Here's the biggest reason. Marriage won't last. Mar it got real quiet because y'all know it's real. Marriage won't last, right? Actually, as a staff, we were talking about this podcast um, that, that we heard earlier. And in this podcast, there were some people being interviewed and they said, here's how I'm going to through selecting a mate for future marriage. Um, I want to select a mate based on how well we can co-parent when we get divorced. It's an incredibly pessimistic view of marriage, but I see red flags in the back. I like it. No. <laughs> Right, but it's so real, right? It's so because you may believe that or you may not believe that, but you have to acknowledge the reality of our current culture on why people would think that way and believe that way. See, for many of us, um, uh, culturally and for good reason, there's such a pessimistic view on marriage and relationships. Chris Rock says this. He's like, "Do you want to be single and lonely, or do you want to be married and bored?" Right, because that's culturally where we are is that for, for so many people, it's, I can be either be single and stay lonely or I can be married and be bored or not work out or not find a good life partner and want to do something else. See, and for some of us, we are coming from that place of undesiring marriage. 
However, I'm also, as I've been talking for the last three minutes, I've seen a lot of red flags. Like, no, I don't think that. Here, I'm not calling anybody out, but here's where I think some of us may be. Over-desiring marriage. I want to get married. 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 Why am I not married? Why are there no good guys in Orlando? I want to get married. I want to get married. I want to get married, right? See, some of us are coming from a place of undesiring marriage. Some of us are coming from a place of over-desiring marriage. And this is where we find ourselves here at the table tonight. So here's what the series is about. It's because we have to acknowledge, whether you believe it or not, we have to acknowledge that culturally there's a pessimism regarding romance and marriage. And yet, even for people that are incredibly pessimistic, it's still the thing that we long for is romance and love and dating and marriage. So here's what we're, the series is about. It's helping us think through love and romance and relationships and dating. And as the series title suggests, here's what we want to try to help you do. Green flag, we want to try to help you look for things to lean into. And red flag, we want to try to help you of things to avoid in navigating this. Is that okay? Can we do that in the series? Okay. So here's what, so tonight, so here's the question that I want to answer. Um, So we're talking about all that for the series, but here's what we're doing tonight. Tonight, as we meet with you one-on-one, here's the thing that comes up, and you don't need to elbow your neighbor, and you don't need to, like, look me too much in the eye, but we we know because we meet with you one-on-one. Here is the thing that for so many of us we experience as we're trying to navigate dating and as we're trying to get relationships, and it's this. It's loneliness. We feel lonely, and we're trying to navigate it from a place of loneliness. We're trying to do the best that we can, right? And we're open within, and we're honest about it, and we're not shaming ourselves or judging ourselves or judging those around us, but we just have to acknowledge, for so many of us, that's the place where we find ourselves. And if you, perhaps you're in an exclusive relationship currently, and you may or may not be experiencing that, but I know for so many of us in this room that are single and not dating, that's exactly where we find ourselves today. So that's what we're going to talk about to kick off this series, is how do we navigate to not feel lonely. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. See, if you have a Bible, we're going to turn there. And here's what we're going to, here's what we're going to do. In the next 20 minutes or so, um, we're going to tackle loneliness. We're going to see what God has to say. And then we're going to give some really practical next steps on how to navigate through the loneliness um, that some of us may be experiencing. So if you have our Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. And it's here. It's this. Then the Lord God said, in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should, what's this word here? Be alone. So here's the first thing I want us to notice. It's not good for the man to be alone. Here's the first thing to notice in this text. Aloneness is not good. Aloneness is not good. Now, I know you know that. You know that. You experience that. I know that. Here's why I'm saying that. I want you to know that God knows that as well that if you feel lonely, God hasn't forgotten about you. If you feel lonely, um, or if you feel alone, that it's not like you just need to try harder and do better. Like God acknowledges that for those of us that feel lonely or feel alone, God's saying this is before the fall. This is before um, um, even Adam and Eve sinned and um, bit the fruit and the garden that brought sin and devastation to the earth. This is the only thing that God calls not good before sin enters into the world. The only thing that God calls not good is that we human beings, Adam here in this case, is alone, right? So, because we are designed for relationships. I want us to look at um, Genesis chapter 1, so you can flip over one page in your Bible to the beginning where it says this in 126. And then God said, let us make man in our image 
after our likeness. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I want you to notice the plurality here. I want you to notice God is talking, and he's saying, in our image. He's saying, after our likeness. This is plural. Why is God talking in plural, right? Because theologically, there's this word that we use called the Trinity. And the Trinity is God being three persons in one God. So God is in three persons, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in God's very essence on who he is, in his identity, he is a communal being, right? Think about it. The Father has, is not alone because the Father has the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Son is not alone because the Son has the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit is not alone because the Spirit has the Father and the Son. You guys tracking? You get that? So God and who God is, God is a communal being. God is, God is a relational being. So whenever we are created in the image of God, we are also created as relational beings because we're made in God's image. It's not good for man to be alone. Aloneness is not good because it's not who God is. Does that make sense? So we are created in God's image. And so our relationship, right? We all talk about, you need to have a relationship with God. You know, like, how's your relationship with God going? How's your relationship with Jesus going? That's an amazing question. Here's my second question. How's your relationship with other human beings going? Because relationships with human beings is vital to our human experience. And that's why, for those of us who say, oh, no, me and God are good. Like, yeah, but like, I'm just, just riding solo. I'm a, I'm a maverick. I'm a, I'm a solo here. Some of us feel that way. And God is saying, hey, look, being solo is not good. We need to have other human beings in our life. Now, but... Because we've had other human beings in our life, that's caused a lot of hurt in our life to cause us to want to be alone. So that's what I want to try to navigate through that. Because you agree with me in the ideal, but you're saying, Isaac, you don't live in reality. You don't know who my roommates are. You don't know who my parents are. You don't know who my coworkers, right? What do you mean we have relationships with other human beings? Like they're awful people. Yes, they are. And so are we, right? So at the core, as, as human beings, at the core of what we long for is this. It's on the screen here. To be fully known and to be fully loved. As human beings, at the core of what we long for is to be fully known and fully loved, right? Now, I want you to really consider this statement. What does it look like to be fully loved without being fully known? What does it look like to be fully loved without being fully known, right? And maybe a way to think about this is like celebrities that you admire, you know, artists, musicians, athletes, um, people on social media that you follow, uh, YouTubers, people on TikTok, Instagram, just people that you see from a distance. You would say, hey, yeah, I love them. But ultimately, other than what they project to us, we don't really know them. And they would probably say um, that they don't fully feel loved by us because we only love what they're allowing us to see. Does that make sense? So to be fully loved without being known is shallow and superficial. Now, it gets worse. <laughs> what about, think about this, what would it look like or feel like to be fully known and not be fully loved. 
And that's the thing that's the most hurtful for us to think through. And that's part of the devastation and hurt that we've experienced is because we felt that rejection before with people, which is why we want to draw ourselves away from people to protect ourselves to not be hurt again. Maybe for some of us, we, gave our, we feel like we just gave our heart fully to a person and they, to where they fully knew us and then took advantage of us. And then we just are left like shattered in pieces, and that's where some of us find ourselves at the table. Uh, welcome to the table, right? So, to be, but as human beings, at the core of what we long for, to be fully known and fully loved, it doesn't matter how much money we have, how many pleasures we experience, how much work we have. Um, if we don't experience being fully known and fully loved, we will feel lonely, which is how many of us in this room feel right now, is lonely because we don't feel fully loved and excuse me, and fully known. There's good news, though. God, again, God knows this. Let's keep reading in the verse. It's not good for a man to be alone. God doesn't want Adam to be alone. God doesn't want us to be alone. So what is about this? In verse 18, where he says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. So here's what he did. He says, I will make him a helper fit for him. A helper. So this word helper, it can, it's going to be helper companion, but here's a really amazing, truest definition of this word helper. Helper is true. Here's another way to contextualize this word helper. is friend. God says, it's not good for humans to be alone, so I'm going to make friends. Right? So here's the big idea for tonight, is that the solution to aloneness is safe Christian friendship, not romance. The solution to aloneness is safe Christian friendship, not romance, right? Now, for so many of us, right, we think that the solution is romance, right? So we're lonely, so what do we do? Get on the apps. You know this, right? So you get on the apps, or um, you start, um, you know, going out, bars, clubs, dancing, or, you know, you start feeling lonely, so what do you do? Sliding in DMs, right? Yes, Okay, who here, don't raise your hand, who's received a DM of somebody that they think was lonely? Okay, don't raise your hand, ladies. Don't raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> right? Guys, don't raise, how many who sent a DM? Okay, don't do that either. Right? For so many of us, like, we feel lonely, so what do we do? We start acting out of our loneliness, and then we start pursuing romance as an answer to the loneliness that we're feeling. Right? But the solution to aloneness is safe Christian friendship. It's not romance. Y'all, I know this deeply. Back when I was living in Dallas, I was single. It was before I moved to Orlando. I'm in my mid-20s. I had just come out of just a year-long relationship and had broken up. So what do I do? I'm like, uh-uh. This isn't now. Let's go. So I start in the gym, start getting that revenge bod. You know what I'm talking about? Start working out. Start looking good. I'm going to go find someone else, right? So then this, um, this amazing uh, app was brand new, had just come out. You have never heard of it. It was called Tinder. So I get on Tinder, right, for the first time, right? So I'm on Tinder. So what do you got to do? Okay, like profile picture. I got to choose my pics. Okay, I need to get a cool um, headshot profile pic. Okay, then I need like the really cool, like adventurous, like off in the distance, like I'm climbing a mountain so it looks like I'm cool, Right? Uh, And then it's like, well, I have friends, so it's like the group shot, but I'm not telling the people that are also in the photo that they're on my Tinder profile, but it's still the the group shot. Um, And then I have to think through the bio, right? So in the bio, I'm like, okay, um, I'll put my Myers-Briggs personality as a good conversation starter, right? So ENTJ, here we go, right? As well as I didn't want to deny or hide that I'm a Christian, but I, I, I felt like Christian was just like too forward, so I wanted to soften the blow a little bit. So I put Jesus follower, right? So people knew what I was talking about. <laughs> Red flag. 
Okay, I'm seeing a red flag right here. Um, so you can keep your red flag up, it's appropriate. So I'm on Tinder for three days, three days, not a single match. And I felt so lonely. And here's why, because dating out of loneliness only makes you lonelier. Dating out of loneliness only makes you lonelier. And I have in my notes, red flag, I'm red flagging myself, you can red flag with me. I was dating out of loneliness or trying to pursue romance out of loneliness. And in that pursuit, it only left me with more heartache and it only left me feeling lonelier, right? And that's what I want to try to help us through. So, because when I was feeling lonely, I didn't need to pursue romance. I needed to pursue safe Christian friends. And the big idea, one more time, is the solution to aloneness is safe Christian friendship. It's not romance, right? So now, I see a green flag in the back. That's good. That's good. Hey, so, so here, now you may be thinking, wait a second, save Christian friends that was not in the advertising, Isaac, for this series. You said it's in the graphic, a series on dating, and now we're talking about friends? No, friends are people that I put a zone around. They're not people that I pursue romance with, right? Like, why are we talking about friends as we're talking through dating, right? So you may be thinking... Um, so I want to say, hey, look, this is a dating series, but if you don't figure out safe Christian friends, any romance, like in my story, any romance that you consider is going to make you feel more lonely. Similarly, um, we will talk about romance, but we need it in its proper place, and it's after establishing safe Christian friends. So romance has its place. We'll talk about that in a second. Romance has its place. But first, the absolute bedrock of how we navigate just relationships as a whole is our relationship with God and Jesus and our relationship with other human beings, not in a romantic way, in a really healthy friendship way. So for, for the rest of our time, here's what we're going to do. I want to give us three ingredients to safe Christian friends. Three ingredients to safe Christian friends. Number one, the first one is this. It's dwelling. Okay, what is dwelling? Uh, dwelling is, it refers to somebody's ability to connect with us, right? So the word dwelling um, literally means to encamp or to reside. So I, I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you're out at dinner with a friend, okay? So you're out at dinner, and then you're trying to find, maybe it's somebody that's new, and you're trying to find things to talk about and common interests. Let me talk about my experience. If I'm at dinner with somebody, right, um, and the subject of Formula One comes up, my ears are perking, and now I'm very interested, right? But there's a difference because if they start, like, like actually talking about Formula One and start naming drivers like Max Verstappen or Daniel Ricciardo or start talking about how the Alfa Romeo team just got bought out by Audi and, like, that talking about Formula One, we are super connected. We're good to go. If they fake it and, like, oh, yeah, I watch NASCAR, we're done. <laughs> it's not the same thing, right? <laughs> Right? So, so that's for me. So, so dwelling means like you share something valuable, right? You sit with somebody and you can share something valuable and they sit with you and they meet you in your passions. They meet you with whatever you hold valuable, right? See, for ladies, stereotypically, for ladies, it's very face-to-face. You're sharing your life, sharing things that you have in common, right? And for dudes, stereotypically, it's more shoulder-to-shoulder, right? So maybe you're like just chopping wood and just grunting, like, ah, right? And that's how we connect, right? So... So number one is dwelling. Number two is this. Number two is un is grace. Number one is dwelling. Number two is grace. Grace is this. Unmerited favor. 
right? It means that somebody is on our side. It means that somebody is for us, right? Somebody wants the best for us. It means that somebody has unconditional love and acceptance toward us with no condemnation. That sounds amazing. Unfortunately, we've all experienced the opposite. We've experienced when somebody was not gracious. I want you to imagine this. Have have you ever been around somebody where you feel like you have to manage what you're saying around them? Yes? Yes? Point at them. No, don't do that. No, we've all experienced, like, like uh, um, our, our family means well. Sometimes it's an aunt, sometimes it's an uncle, sometimes it's extended, sometimes it's a, a lot of times it's at church. Maybe it's somebody, like, in your life. You know, there's a lot of people that are just ungracious with us. And we can feel it whenever we start feeling like we need to, like, start um, hedging what we say because we don't feel permission to be our fullest, truest selves um, around them. So whenever we feel that way, that means that we don't feel grace from them and we don't feel grace in that relationship, right? So, but somebody who's gracious does the opposite. Somebody who's gracious accepts you just as you are and doesn't shame you for what you're currently experiencing or feeling or start saying things like, oh, you shouldn't be feeling that way or always trying to like paint silver linings whenever things are just awful in your life or start saying, oh, yeah, 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 but God, you're like, I know, but God, but can I just be frustrated right now? See, people that are gracious give you space to be frustrated with things that frustrate you and sit with you in that frustration and they don't rile you up more and they don't like go and take a baseball bat where a baseball bat needs to get taken sometimes they will but not always right but it's like that type of person that can like you can just be like ah and they're like thank you for sharing we're good and they can take what's good from that and they're a really good friend they can kind of like brush away the things that um, you, um, from your own conviction, you don't want to say again next time. <laughs> Not because they're saying you should, but just from what you're feeling. And a greatly gracious friend just lets you be fully you. It's amazing, right? So imagine you're at dinner and you just share something deeply personal. And with that, um, they just receive that and they're like, oh, yeah, me too. And then they can share. And y'all can have this really cool, vulnerable bonding moment over something you've experienced as you both can be gracious with each other. Um, I have a really good friend um, who does this so, so, so well to the point where, like, I, when I'm, like, I'm around him, I feel like I can just be, like, my fullest self. I can say whatever I'm thinking. I don't feel like I need to, like, protect, hedge or protect my words. Um, but I also know it's not just me that's around him. Like, many people that are around him feel that way. And I, so I've asked him, I was like, hey, man, how do you do that? How do you create such an environment of graciousness just like around you and the people that you interact with? And then he said, oh, it's because I'm, I'm intentionally more offensive than they are. <laughs> Meaning, um, I'm, if they think the bar is here in the relationship, I'm going to put the bar here so they know they have more room to go if they need to. Does that make sense? Meaning he, he, does, he goes over and beyond to create an environment where people around him can just be fully themselves without trying. Like, like sometimes when you get to church, I feel like I need to explain this point a little more. Okay. You know when you get to church, you talk a little bit different than when you're not at church? True or not true? Yep. Why is that? Why is that? I'm not shaming you, I'm like, but really, let's think through this. It's because we don't feel gracious enough to be our truest selves when we're at church. That's what I'm talking about. So the example that I gave, I'm saying this person creates an environment where you don't feel like you need to change your language no matter where you are. You don't feel like you need to change the things that you're saying no matter where you are. Does that make sense? Okay, okay, I'm going to move on here. Okay, cool. Um, Number three. Uh, So number one is dwelling. Number two is grace. Number three is this, is truth. Um, truth is defining reality. 
Truth is saying reality as you see it and defining reality um, as you see it. So a person that's truthful is we need people in our life who are going to be honest with us, right? So again, we just talked about grace. Here's the other piece of that. It's truth. People can receive fully what we're saying and also can graciously um, be able to um, speak truth where we need to hear it and tell us where we need to change and tell us how we need to grow and tell us um, what um, just kind of what's going on and helping define the reality that we're experiencing. This doesn't mean that they're not accepting us. It means that they accept us fully for who we are, but they're also honest about our faults without condemning us. We all need friends in our life that speak the truth to us in our life, right? Because that true relationships are the ones that we can just speak the truth to one another and confront one another, like, as needed. Um, and there's no condemnation. There's just truth. There's just honesty. There's just candor, right? I actually experienced this recently. So uh, shout out Dana Fricker on our staff team. Um, so we were in a staff meeting where, like, I asked our staff teams, Dana and Thomas, to be able to, um, like, hey, um, I'm in a season right now where I just want to try to get a lot of feedback for, like, how, how I am as a person, but also how are you experiencing me right now? And I typically do that about once a year. Um, so uh, Dana was amazing. What Dana said, she was so honest, and I talked to her beforehand. She knows I'm using this illustration. Okay. Um, she said, hey, Isaac, if I can just be honest, um, you've been distracted recently. Like, really? She's like, yeah, like, to the point where, like, I'm talking to you, and you don't listen to me. So, I don't know if you've noticed, I've just started sharing less with you. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have noticed. She's like, yeah, so that's what's going on. So thank you for bringing it up so I can be able to have this really honest conversation. And then she said, that wasn't even it, so that was incredible that she said that. We're able to, like, kind of move forward and reconcile the relationship that we had as I'm trying to work through not being distracted. Here's the second thing she said, too. She said, hey, Isaac, is it possible that you have an ADHD brain? And I was like, I don't know, maybe. So here's what I do. So I was like, oh, so it got me thinking. So I go and I talk to my professional counselor about it. And I've been meeting this guy for about a year. And after a year, I, hey man, do I have an ADHD brain? And he's like, oh, definitely. And I'm like, why have you never told me this? <laughs> like, he's like, oh yeah, like you definitely have a, neurotyp um, a, a neurotypical brain. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh my God. So it like, so really, this was probably, probably three or four months ago. It unlocked, y'all, for real, it unlocked so many things within me of like processing, okay, I actually do get distracted really easily. It's not an excuse, right? I need to be present. I need to be focused. But being able to acknowledge and name of my ADHD brain was incredibly helpful as I'm trying to live in this new season of growth and character development. And shout out Dana for having the courage and the honesty to speak truth to me, right? So that's having a really good um, friend uh, that speaks the truth. So now, as we think through dwelling and grace and truth, as we think through dwelling, grace, and truth, who does this remind you of? You can say the Sunday school answer. It's okay. Jesus, right? Y'all, as we think through dwelling in grace and truth, y'all, this is Jesus. This is who Jesus is. I want us to look at John chapter 1, verse 14, where he says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, dwelling, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of what are these words? Grace and truth. Jesus and who Jesus is, is a God that dwells with us is a God that is so gracious with us beyond what we deserve and just speaks truth into our life, right? So as we think through Jesus and who he is, this is the gospel. The gospel is we, we're talking about friendship and safe Christian friends. We don't deserve to be friends. We don't. We're sinners. 
right? We're sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice, but God, because we're created for good in the, glory, the future glory that we'll get to experience one day, God sent his son Jesus down to be a friend to us when we didn't even deserve it. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is a friend. And Jesus models perfectly what it looks like to be a safe Christian friend, right? So we don't have to be feel alone. We can be fully known and fully loved. Here's the coolest part. By God himself, we can be fully known and fully loved. And secondarily, again, we're designed for relationships. People that are following Jesus, that have the Holy Spirit within them, also can experience what it looks like to have received the friendship of Jesus to then be a friend to other people. Guys, and don't miss this. You know how powerful this is when you have two people, one person that wants to be a safe person following Jesus and another person that wants to be a safe person following Jesus. Do you know how powerful that friendship is? It is supernatural what is happening in that friendship. You have God himself and the Holy Spirit that comes into that friendship that is allowing two people to fully focus on Jesus. Now, let's even expand it more. Not just two people. This is not romantic, y'all. This is just friendship. Imagine you take an entire life group. You have eight to 12 people that have the Holy Spirit within them that want to be safe friends to each other, that are fully fixed on Jesus and are all following Jesus together. Do you know how life-changing that is to have that level of Christian friendship? Some of us have never experienced that before in our life and it breaks my heart. More than anything for you, I want you I know we're talking about green flags, right? I know we're talking about dating. More than anything, more than I want you to have a spouse, more than you want to have a spouse, I want to experience you feeling experience of being fully known and fully loved by Jesus and from other people that just know you and love you so incredibly well. And that's why I wanted to start here right now. Because if, if we don't fully understand this and receive the friendship of Jesus and be a friend to other people, we're going to miss everything else that we're talking about in this series. This is the absolute bedrock of who we are and who we need to be, right? So whenever we, somebody's already got ahead of me. This is great, y'all. Y'all, so what is a green flag? When Green flag is whenever we look like Jesus and we notice other people looking like Jesus as a safe friend. That's a green flag. Here's a red flag. Whenever we notice people that are hostile, no, no, let me be more careful with my language. Um, people that are um, 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 unaware of what Jesus is, wants to do in their life. We got to be careful. Okay, so what does this have to do with dating? Everything, right? So as we're starting with dating series, I'm going to go through these quickly. These are four, four now what's. Number one, you need to have safe Christian friends. Number one, you need to have safe Christian friends. Y'all, table family, y'all, hear me. You need to have safe Christian friends. Number two, you need to be a safe Christian friend. Typically, whenever we, because we talk about this um, safe Christian friend, we talk about this a lot the last few years, and typically the response is, I'm not a safe person. <laughs> and if you acknowledge that you're not a safe person, one, welcome to the club. None of us are safe people, like really, but we've been redeemed by Jesus and we're on a growth track. And typically what happens is out of dwelling grace and truth, typically there's one, maybe even one or two, that as we're thinking through self-evaluation, oh, I'm actually doing pretty well. And then there's one that we typically don't do well in. Like for me, um, I actually think I'm pretty good at being gracious with people and I'm pretty good at speaking the truth to people. What I, as from the example earlier, in my distraction, um, I struggle and I'm trying to grow in dwelling with people and just being with people and being present with people. 
And for you and your life groups this week, that's going to be one of the questions, um, is, hey, in dwelling grace and truth, what's one of the ones that you feel that strong in, and what's one of the ones that you feel is a growth opportunity for you? So number two, you need to be a safe Christian friend. Number three, for safe Christian friends, uh, join a life group. Join a life group, right? So maybe you don't have safe Christian friends. That's why we have life groups, to help get safe Christian friends together to pursue this beautiful life of following Jesus together. Or maybe you already have friends, but you're like, I need more. Join a life group, right? Be, be part of a life group. Um, we're actually, uh, shout out Brandon. You'll get to meet him in a second. He's our college life group leader. So if you're in college, if you're a college student, <laughs> yeah, he's got the squad here. Uh, if you're a college student and you have never, and you're not, excuse me, you're not experiencing the safe Christian friends that we talked about. Um, Brennan and Dan are about to come up here in a second. Um, listen in and learn about college and what it means to have safe Christian friends during your college experience. And for our young professionals, these are kind of 22, 23, up to 30. Um, we're starting a new group as well in a few weeks, so we'll give you more details on that. And number four, as we wrap up, um, if you are a friend and have friends, now we can have a conversation about dating and relationships and potentially marriage. Does that make sense? If you are a friend and if you have friends, now we can have a conversation um, about uh, dating relationships and potentially marriage. And that's exactly what we're starting point next week um, is that we're with our starting point of Jesus and safe Christian friendships. And now what does it look like to consider dating from our safe community of having safe Christian friends. And spoiler, spoiler alert, um, you actually look for safe Christian friends in your dating and romance, and spoiler even more, your spouse becomes your safest Christian friend. That's how that works. So if we don't get um, uh, a framework for safe Christian friends, we will never actually be able to experience the joy and the happiness that comes um, in romance and comes in marriage. And I'll, I'll close with the story. Um, so I was in a life group, uh, and I was single, and, um, and it was amazing. It was basically a group of us that were saying, hey, we want to be safe friends together. And we got to do that, and we, we, we prayed together, and we studied the Bible together, and we shared our life together. And we did that for about a year, um, while I was also, like, just an absolute mess in the dating life, and I had, had to figure a lot of things out. More on, If you want to hear, like, dating stories, more of that next week. Okay. So, uh, so then, so I have this kind of safe Christian life group, Safe Christian Friends. Um, and then there was another person that I started becoming friends with, and her name is Lauren. So now I'm getting to know Lauren as a safe Christian friend, while I'm also um, in my community of a life group of safe Christian friends. So Lauren now starts standing out more and more the more that I get to know her, and I start saying, man, we dwell really well together. We just can connect. She is for me. Man, she is so, she's more gracious for me than I am with myself. And y'all, she doesn't pull her punches. She speaks the truth. So Lauren started standing out. So Lauren come, goes from being a safe friend, so then we start dating, and she becomes a safer friend. And now we're in a dating context. More on that in a few weeks of how to navigate exclusive relationships. Um, we're in a dating context when I'm seeing that she's a safer friend to the point of like, man, I think Lauren's actually my safest friend, and I think I want her to be my safest friend for the rest of my life. So I, we, I propose, we get engaged, and here's what our life group does, is because they were journeying the entire time, they got to meet, and we got to interact together. Um, my life group ends up throwing a wedding shower for me and Lauren um, a few months before we get married, and it was incredible. Now, I say that to say that was one time that it worked, and that's what I want for you, and I am still incredibly imperfect when it comes to friendships. I still struggle, right? 
Again, there's more stories next week around like the 47,000 times that like my dating life did not end up like that. But that's, I just want to get, get cast a vision for your life of what it looks like to have safe Christian friends and what it looks like as well to start adding in dating and romance um, into that in a, in a context. So I'm not a perfect friend, but my aim at the table is that we all become safe Christian friends to each other. And the more that we do that, I would love for the table to be a place where we are known in the city for people that are lost and broken, right? That, that they can experience healing in Jesus through us as we become their friends. I would love for every single young adult in Orlando to hear about Jesus from a friend, from us. Let's pray, and then Dana and Brendan are going to come up as we wrap up. Father, God, I just thank you so much for you and your son Jesus, God, and your spirit. God, I thank you just for our table family, God, and for the spiritual friendship that we have that's so supernatural that we can't even experience, God. And I pray um, that as people are resonating with this message, um, God, that you can just, you've implanted just seeds of thought and conviction, God, and what we might do next to cultivate our character within you. God, I just pray for life group leaders right now, God. I pray for a supernatural outpouring of your spirit on our life group leaders, God, as they're trying to lead um, these conversations, God, and lead the community um, that we have around um, friendships and spiritual friendships, God, as well as our serving teams um, as well that are just serving and wanting to create a sense of hospitality and friendship here. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.